Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. My guest today is Anna Bazaglova. Welcome, Anna. How are you today? Hi, Craig. Thank you for having me. I'm great. My pleasure. Thank you. For, I've been saying lately, thank you for taking the generous leap of pressing, okay, <laughs> when <laughs> Craig reaches out and says, would you like to? Um, there are many, I, I, the more that I read some of your blog posts and the more that I looked at <clears throat> your Instagram, that I found, ooh, there's a bunch of completely different conversations we could have here. So I, I always am a little nervous because I think where I start really kind of sets the tone for where we're going to go. So at, this is where I would like to start. You wrote a blog post and I will link in the show notes, people, you can go read Anna's blog posts. I, you wrote a blog post called Having a Practice and in it, pretty early, you mentioned something that your Zen teacher had said to you. So I'm quoting you, quoting your Zen teacher. <laughs> and it is, every day, put something consciously on your altar, something you keep sacred. And when I read that, well, aside from the whole rest of the post, when I read that, it really struck me as, yes, that's what I'm thinking like the sacredness, that's what I'm thinking when I think about my practice. Um, so I thought that'd be a really fun place to start to maybe ask you, is there a point where you realized that about practice? Like, did you always have a sacred practice, but you didn't know it? Or was there a point where you realized that you needed to make your practice, your daily practice sacred? I think the truth is both ways because I did do the practice and I did everything around it that would make it sacred in the eyes of other people. But maybe not until later I realized that it is sacred for me and that this is something that I need to cherish and treat mm. in such way. So, um, and this, when, when I heard it also, and uh, as you said, that's from Zen master that I used to study with, it made me, clearly see that for myself and it made me clearly and consciously take the steps to make my practice such and mm -hmm. uh, even though I already have been doing such steps there were some things that were missing and it helped me to redirect myself in a better way and relate to it in a better way so um, it was also something that obviously I wrote about it and I'm mm -hmm. thinking about it every day because it's a good thing to remind ourselves of, as I don't think that the dialogue of sacredness, of deep meaning, is something that is often connected to daily things. And it's not only the physical practice that I treat in such a way, but also just daily moments and living the life, being present to it all the time. And it doesn't matter whether I'm doing uh, an official quote-unquote session of practice or I'm driving a car or I'm talking to my husband or I'm teaching a class or I'm just walking down the road. Hmm. And I think this mindset shifts something in, in the way you do things day to day. I completely agree that it shifts uh, how you do things. Uh, two things jump out at me there. One, for people listening, the before we pressed record, we were talking about a, what I thought was a really good Instagram uh, video, reel, whatever, 
about while you were driving. So people go find Anna's IG account. It's in the episode notes. And you can find your way to, it's just a video of her driving and talking about it. I'm not going to let any more of the cat out of the bag. It's it's Instagram. It's 60 seconds, uh, but worth listening to. You'll understand what she was referring to there when she mentioned driving. Super useful. The other thing that struck me was you talked about things that were missing. So you said, oh, you know, I asked my question and you're like, yes, mm-hmm. both, Craig, you're not quite <laughs> on the thing, but you mentioned there were things that were missing. So that, that suggests that you added things to your practice or your life that made your practice more sacred. Mm-hmm. I, I just noted that you mentioned that there was stuff missing. And the obvious question is like, what are some of the things that were missing that you added? It's not that something specific was missing what was missing is my presence to these things and Mm. my treating of daily mundane activities as something important. And this is what I added to it. And that is the practice that is the hardest to maintain because when we are living in a routine, when we are accustomed to uh, the faces that we see every day, the place that we live in, our workplace, whatever it is that we're doing, the tendency is to treat it like something unimportant. And this is what your life consists of. Your life consists of <laughs> <Yes>. watching plates. <laughs> you know, your life consists of uh, having a meal. It's not the peak moments of life that, that take the most of your time. This is every day, uh, you know, going, commuting to your workplace or cleaning your apartment or doing whatever you do for your job. And in this article, I was talking about it that you mentioned about having a practice. Practice can be anything. It doesn't have to be any specific set of uh, exercises or um, disciplines, whatever you call it, but it can be just the thing you already do. What Mm -hmm. I mentioned there, for example, is people who work uh, in the construction sites and what I often see, it's it's not that they're happy with their life, but they're doing a very important job. They're building people's houses or yes. they're improving, renovating people's houses. So if in it, it is it is a hard work, but with all honesty, I would say you if you, I would tell you if you offer me to choose between office work and construction work, I will choose construction work <laughs> seven days of the week, and. Um, just changing your mindset of going there because you need a paycheck, which is true, you do need to earn your living somehow, to I am building or renovating a house where people will live. So I'm creating something that will be of benefit to others. The way you treat it every day and the way you show up to work every day will be very different. And this can be a practice. And it is true to anything mm, if you are working in a supermarket and we don't think about these professions as something that can can be treated with any kind of importance, but it is an important thing that someone needs to do. And the person who is in this position that for whatever reason have to do this job, if we will teach them to treat it differently in the way that they, um, mm, how would you say it? in the way that they explain to themselves the need to be there every day, 
the way they show up to work will change. And also it will not cause so much friction and suffering as if it's you treat it as an obligation just because you need to eat, which might be true in essence, but um, I hope it makes sense what I mean. It's just the shift in the perspective of how you're looking at things that can really change the way you feel in a day-to-day doing normal things and doing hard things at that. I, I think there's a beautiful inner strength that you're pointing to. You're saying that people can develop that inner strength by changing their perspective. Um, again, I c- agree completely as I expected before we started. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a whole bunch of me just going, mm-hmm, tell me more, mm-hmm, tell me more. <laughs> um, this might seem like a left turn to people listening, but I believe I noticed, I hope I'm not wrong, I believe I noticed that your father passed away maybe eight or ten yeah, years yeah, ago. Yes, uh, um, yeah. My, my condolences, that. of course, mm-hmm. but Thank my you. thought was the photo that I saw of him was dressed as a martial arts instructor, and my guess would be kung fu, but I could be way off base. And I'm wondering how much of this, like I love your perspective on this is all awesome, beautiful perspective. Did that come from your father? Do you think you got the beginnings of that in martial arts? Because sometimes people tell me stories about martial arts weren't great for them. And some people tell me stories about martial arts were awesome. And I'm just wondering if you if you can pull or maybe draw the thread of what you were just describing. Does that thread go back to uh, before you came to Spain? Does that go back to childhood? Does that go back to martial arts? I'm just wondering how far back you can draw that or how far back you can trace that awareness. Okay, yes, of course. I think it has a lot to do with this. So my father, he was a wushu teacher. It was Mm. a wushu that he did for many years when still back in the Soviet Union, uh, it was illegal to do it. And at the same time, he was... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Like, what? Uh, yes, That's there are awesome. many things. There are many things that were interesting about Soviet Union, but um, and he at the same time he was also a military officer, so he served in the military the most of his life, and then he ended up teaching in the military academy. And I think this combination of things, of course, shaped me because I had really good relationships with my father. Also, he was a very supportive figure. I uh, we had other problems when I was growing up just for the because of the reality of the collapsing country. But in the terms of support and in the terms of guidance and in the terms of the outlook on life, of course, my father has to do a lot with this. He was also a Buddhist. He introduced me to Buddhist teachings, but of course, you don't... Uh, cherish things that you have. So actually, when he was alive, I never got the chance to talk to him about these things more in depth. But already Mm. after his passing, I found the person to study with and I started to uh, dive deeper into this uh, practice. But of course, uh, just by watching him living life and doing things, it was never any direct teaching because I didn't do wushu with him. The same for the same reason. I always thought that why would I need that? But um, how he would treat me as a child, uh, how he would conduct himself in the face of adversity, especially because '90s in Russia were very hard times for everyone, and this gave me resilience that I have now. They, this gave me, of course, a lot of 
different perspectives on the things that I see. I live in Spain for over 10 years and I, I see that people in the West are lacking. Um, not everyone, of course, it depends a lot on the family that you grew sure. up in, I think, but the environment of, um, of hardship and overcoming, uh, you know, the adversity of just what's going on around you, of course, give you a very different perspective. So, of, of course, my father shaped me. My mother also, she's a very different person, but um, the interplay and the outlook on how my parents just conducted themselves and they were doing things when we were children that we just saw and took for granted. But now looking back at it, I can say like, okay, wow, it's actually quite impressive what they did there. But it leaves you, it you normalize it because this is how your parents conducted themselves right. and they are your first and main example of an adult and of a human being. So, of course, and I think it shapes everyone in one way or another. Sometimes it's we want to be the opposite of our parents, but still something <laughs> something inside always stays because you are the conjunction of both. Mm. That creates a completely different outcome, of course, as an individual, but you will always find the influences inside. We've been... So far, we've been talking a lot, well, obviously about you, and we've been talking about like your journey and snapshots of how you look at things. And I like to also try to imagine, okay, if people are listening, if they're not listening, they wouldn't know. If people listening want to go take action, I'm just imagining how do you try to, <clears throat> oh, I don't know, do we say light someone else's flame, you know, like the passing candle flames, or how do you spark in someone else, the passion for this sacred practice. You see what I'm asking? Like if you yeah. have a student who comes to you and says, I want to train with you, um, this seems to be like the primary, like, you know, you're saying to yourself, if I could accomplish one thing with this student, I want to like spark this idea in them because then it becomes a self-generative process in them. Like what are some things that you find help people pick up the idea or maybe things that help them get started on creating their own sacred practice or? Well, the main thing is you have to be an example for them. You have to have skin in the game and actually live by what you preach mm -hmm. because people will see if you are not coherent in what you say and <laughs> how you live your life. <laughs> so I don't think anyone can teach you anything if they see that you're a complete mess in what you're trying to show them. Mm. And this is the most powerful um, ignition point, I would say. And then you create a process. That's the task of a teacher. You need to recognize who is in front of you. You need to be able to read people to a certain extent. And the main thing is if, first of all, you cannot really motivate anyone to do anything. That's if it doesn't come from person, it's not going to happen. So, that's that's the first thing. So already if people come, if they see you as an example, if they are attracted for what to what what you are doing and how, then you can start the process because it should imply certain level of trust. And by starting to create a very small steps that people can make it doesn't matter how small they are. Sometimes they are so small, it can feel humiliating to someone. 
you know, how we'll be doing this stupid little thing. But <laughs> when you show them the steps and you dissect the path for them, at the beginning, uh, it's, it's important to do. And they can actually see that they themselves are capable of achieving things. Then it will ignite them by themselves. And um, that is the task of a teacher. But uh, as I said at the beginning, being an example is the most important one. Like uh, you, you said and you mentioned before, like, and I also expanded on this, like my father was an example for me. He never taught me anything specifically. There was never a moment when that I, of course, regret now not, not doing this, but there was never a moment when he said and he would you know, lay down his philosophy on me. But we had conversations, of course, that went deep. But the main thing for me was always the way that the person behaves. And you can also learn on their mistakes, of course. Um, but what you need to do is to make your own. <laughs> <laughs> I had a flash of an image of <clears throat> there's a common thing like motivational posters, especially in the States. And then there's like a joke, which is, demotivational posters and there's one <laughs> with like a sunset with a calm sea and a rusting hulk of a ship sticking up out of the water and it says it could be that the purpose of your life is to serve as a warning to others <laughs> <laughs> Which, when you when you said like you need to make your own mistakes and people might learn from that i was like oh no i always <laughs> that it's a striking image when i see it in my mind <clears throat> um i I'm well aware that this is often Craig driving and my guests are in the passenger seats. <laughs> I, I like to intentionally say like, okay, now that we've been talking for 17 minutes, um, is there anything that's coming up for you that you're like, Ooh, I wonder about, or things that you'd want to share, like what's going on in your mind? If, if I offer you the steering wheel for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are a million things that can be said. Um, and as it's your show, so <laughs> it's pretty normal that you would be driving it and you would be asking the questions that you're interested in. Um, <laughs> what do you think um, if you, um, so I, I don't know how often you teach, but it seems clear to me that you're like, you teach and you mm -hmm. have regular students and maybe you're also doing events. You have people who don't know you very well. They come in for, I call it like a, a single serving size. You know, mm -hmm. they meet you, they take a thing. Um, what do you think those people get wrong about you? So the, your regular students and it's like people who only see you in that context, what do you think mm. is something they get wrong? Well, first of all, I don't really do one-time events. It's very rarely um, that I do something that is not conductive to people becoming long-term students, because that's what I'm interested in, is that's what I want to do. Uh, people, I think, I think better question will be, uh, what can people save through your social networks? <laughs> what they don't get. Remember I said we could have multiple conversations. <laughs> yes. I thought we might have a conversation about social networks, but keep going. <laughs> yes. So, um, <clears throat> what people get wrong is that this is just some, what I teach is just some set of movements or exercises to gain some strength, flexibility. And uh, what I really do is I'm trying to show people the way to take responsibility over their life. And I use movement as means for that because that's the best way to address a person. You cannot really, if you're not experienced, pin down your mind with your mind. 
And this is something I talk about a lot. And uh, in other podcasts, I also mentioned this. And that's an important basis of what I'm doing is understanding that an individual consists of different categories of experience, whether it is cognitive, emotional, and physical. But all of them, they constitute a self, an individual. And they are inseparable and they have to be thought of as a single unit which is, I think, a very important part that people miss. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to show people that they can be an autonomous agent in their life, uh, that they can develop, of course, better capacity to move because the complexity of your movement and how you can control your body affects directly how you can control your emotion, how can you control your cognitive processes. Um, And it's done through an array of practices, through different propositions of developing in certain directions that I have all learned from Udo Portal that has been my teacher for the last 10 years. And it involves physicality, as I said before, as a main vehicle for that. And if we talk about the physical layer, of course, there are certain aspects of the body that I'm trying to develop in my students, which are the general capacity to move and solve motor problems, let's put it this way, uh, which are applicable to many different fields, not just to a single discipline or a single way of moving. So I'm trying to show people how to marry the opposites in quotation marks, because the opposites are just on the spectrum. They form a whole that needs to be explored And movement, movement practice, is a way, the way, I would say, to do so. Just because it's rooted in physical reality, uh, it's inescapable. You cannot choose whether to move or not, as Feldenkrais said. (laughs) But your choice is whether you do it better or worse and whether you are choosing improvement or deterioration. Mm. Oh, so many things, Anna. Um, <laughs> quick, I call these drive like drive-bys. You just mentioned mm-hmm. Feldenkrais, which is uh, the the gentleman who founded the Feldenkrais the Feldenkrais method. I just want to say I'll put it in the episode notes, people. You can go trace that thread. <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, but I wanted to make sure that people didn't just miss that word go yep. flying by. Um, the other thing, and I don't know if I have to pull up my web browser or if you can remember, <clears throat> I saw an Instagram video of you uh, standing on a dock with water and a boat behind you, and you were moving your arms. Do you remember this one? Yes. Were, yeah, yeah. Okay. We did some our coordination. You, yeah, yeah. Yes. So you made a point in, in the text. I kind of like half watched the videos, and mostly I'm reading the captions. <laughs> but anyway. Rare um, case, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm weird. Yes. Um, you mentioned about... And I'm I'm trying to get the words. Uh, you mentioned developing, oh, brain networking, uh, not coordination, but developing the ability to. Uh, I'm missing a noun. Uh, if I had the noun, developing this noun gives you the ability to quickly adapt to new situations, new challenges. And I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what that noun is. Cardi- I, it is coordination. I was talking coordination? about coordination. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, that struck me as really insightful that to point out that yes, you can learn coordination, you know, when you are older. Mm-hmm. Yes, coordination is this thing that feels like it's 
unspecific, like coordination. What is this? What does this word mean? And I really like that you were in the caption you were talking about. No, you can learn coordination and it's challenging to learn it. And it's really a powerful tool. Uh, but I don't really have any, <clears throat> I don't have a question around it. Other <laughs> to say I, I really okay. enjoyed <laughs> your talking about coordination. So tell me some thoughts around coordination. <laughs> I'll make it a okay. statement. <laughs> so uh, first of all, the terminology, no, um, you cannot learn coordination, but you can become more coordinated. So um, coordination, people think about it. Um, there are many ways to decipher it, let's say. And the thought about coordination is like, oh, you either have it or you don't. Oh, like the people who you see in the disco and they're like off the rhythm of everyone else, you know, bumping into each other. <laughs> it's like, okay, this person is coordinating and they are lost for society you know, <laughs> uh, forever. And it is, it is not the case. The case is that people don't put enough effort into developing those things because being in the process of developing it, and especially at the beginning, makes you feel really dumb. <laughs> and um, if it, however, if it is challenged correctly, if you are involved with practices that um, constantly twitch the parameters and constantly make you solve problems quickly, and again, as I said at the beginning, it can be as small and as humili humiliating <laughs> as it needs to be for a person who is really struggling to organize their body. But it can be done. And I have seen that this in countless students that I have taught, in countless students that I have seen passing through IDOS coaching, and uh, myself also being uh, an example of it. Wow. I wasn't the worst in coordination, but there are certain things. For example, uh, object manipulation was always very hard for me. I couldn't even like throw one ball or catch one ball when I started. And now I can juggle multiple balls, doing multiple patterns, balancing the sticks, you know, playing drums, etc., etc. There are many. I can apply a skill across different scenarios. And whenever now... Today, I find a new thing that I have never done before. My learning curve is much quicker than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And with this process of constantly being exposed to solving these different riddles and um, learning the terminology about your body that is involved with this, uh, it also has a lot to do with the rhythmicality, the coordination. I would say maybe 80% of being coordinating is having a good rhythm understanding timing, um, but it all can be developed. And this is an important thing for people to understand because many drop, uh, you know, they throw the towel past certain age. It's like, okay, I cannot do it anymore. But then as you develop this general ability to be coordinated through going through this process, other things that might have caused you trouble doing like, I don't know, playing football or dancing, you know, at the party, suddenly there's, you start having certain ability to be engaged with those things and you're becoming yeah. successful in them. So and a certain amount of joy up here exactly. in the practice. Exactly. So people, this is, you asked before how you ignite people. This is how you ignite them. When people see that it is possible and they see that actually their body is changing, they're being ignited. 
The problem is that people don't want to go through long processes. They want everything very quickly, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but those who who come and I have like I have certain rules and demands for people who come to my school. There are no drop-in classes. People have to sign up and commit because I want to create the conditions for them to actually experience the change in their bodies. And those who come and those who put trust in this, those who actually engage with these practices, they do come on the other side completely different. Hmm. Oh, terrific. Um, <laughs> if people listening, <clears throat> all three of them, <laughs> people listening... Um, are thinking like, ooh, I'm okay. I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I'm on the team. Um, is there something that they can do? Like, if you're driving, don't do this. But if you're <laughs> if you're listening and you're actually like, okay, I'm going to press stop at the end of the show. What's something that they might try just like right away that might give them a glimpse of that? That's a really challenging question. I know, but paying attention. That will be my answer <laughs> to you. Uh, mentioning Feldenkrais that we already talked about again. Um, that is what he was talking about and that's and the point that was missed by many people who are studying his work and uh, are applying it somehow that you know to first pay attention and develop the capacity to pay attention to what you're doing and how your body is positioned in space to put it in the simpler terms but then you need to apply it and you need to pay <laughs> attention to other things at other moments when you are engaged with your body which is all the time there is no activity in the world of phenomenon <laughs> that doesn't involve the body nothing is can be separated from it and this is i think a very important part for people to understand and just simply paying attention to it is already a huge step to improving everything coordination included hmm. terrific <laughs> um, I, watching our time take away, I, I hate to say it, but, and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Change will be one word that I say, because <laughs> <laughs> it's constant change and it's true to the reality of life and uh, of the universe that we live on that is constant changing and through movement practice you should be changing as well if you're the same person that you were five years ago you're not doing things right <laughs> and a second one and a third one you have three <laughs> three words you don't, you don't um, have to have three but okay consistency will be a good one that i think is important for people to remember and uh, awareness which is related to the last point that we expanded on. I keep saying terrific because I mean it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. Um, it never ceases to amaze me, although I probably should get over it. Um, when I reach out to people and I don't overthink it and I just let the conversation go where it goes, I, it never ceases to amaze me the wonderful things that we discover. Um, thank you so much for... Uh, showing up, taking the generous leap of like, I don't know who this guy is, but I guess I'll try <laughs> it. Um, and I have my work cut out for me for episode notes. I will put it by the time people listening see it, I will have done all my homework. So I hope everybody else enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much, Anna. Uh, you're welcome, Craig. Thanks for having me. <laughs>